1: Well, it's another Monday, and that means another edition of the Helipod. Thank you for downloading and listening. This one's going to be a little different. Uh, Two guests on the Helipod today. Eugene Monroe, eight-year NFL veteran, former first-round pick of the Jags, wrapped up his career in Baltimore with the Ravens. And Jonathan Casillas. Jonathan was a uh, nine-year veteran of the NFL, a two-time Super Bowl champ. He started his career undrafted out of Wisconsin, with the New Orleans Saints, won a Super Bowl that year, also went on to win another Super Bowl as a member of the Patriots, and then wrapped up his career uh, with the New York Football Giants. Both of these guys have some interesting stories from the playing days, but we also delve into the world of cannabis. Both of them uh, very outspoken and leading voices for implementing cannabis as uh, pain management Um, in the NFL. Uh, Eugene Monroe on the NFL's pain management committee. Um, He was one of the uh, leading advocates for the new marijuana policy that is uh, part of the CBA. I I learned a lot here. Uh, Don't know a ton about this area, but uh, both of these guys obviously involved in this industry from a business standpoint um, and and the social impact that uh, it has as well. Eugene gets into that. I, I I think you're going to like this. Listen, Eugene Monroe and Jonathan Casillas on this edition of the Helipod presented by Viore. Starts now. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday and welcome to another Helipod. It's my pleasure to be joined by eight-year NFL veteran Eugene Monroe. You probably remember him from his time with the Jaguars and the Ravens and Jonathan can see us uh, a nine-year veteran two-time Super Bowl champion is with us now started his career with the Saints went to the Bucks, and then with the New York football Giants so many great stories uh to get to fellas one of the things I like to talk about uh is those those rookie seasons um you know when you first entered the league and you guys entered them on on very different terms Eugene you were a a first round pick uh went to Jacksonville in 2009 out of uh UVA. When you when you think back and it, it must seem like you're turning back the clock a ways here because it's over a decade now since you were a rookie, right?
2: Long time ago. So,
1: Getting old. I mean yeah. you look back to that rookie season, there had to be kind of a a welcome to the NFL moment, right? Whether it was a a rookie mini camp or a our first preseason game.
2: Man, so the most memorable like I guess welcome to the NFL moment for me uh they were doing like some light rookie hazing you know it wasn't crazy but they were jacking everyone's hairdos up right and and so I was bald so you know I was I was cool I was confident I thought like oh you know what's the worst they can do like make me grow it out and you know do something funny but they took my eyebrows. So, man, it was like, <laughs> so I'm in Jacksonville, and if you've been down there, it's summer camp, period. It's hot everywhere, but Jacksonville's heat is just different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you walk out the house at 8 a.m. and you're sweating before you open your car door. Oh, yeah. Um, and so when they took my eyebrows, it also, like, you know, the the, the, the sweat. I, I don't have hair, and now I also don't have eyebrows, so my <laughs> sweat is just <got> raining, <laughs> in my eyes and I'm like in practice can't see in a preseason game can't see uh it was terrible man I'm like, god I'm playing with a handicap but hey just like welcome to the NFL like there's always gonna be something you're pushing through well it's
1: so funny because because Maurice Jones drew a teammate of yours told the same story about getting his eyebrows cut off and at that point he had dreads so he had dreads and no eyebrows I don't know what's better or worse to be bald with no eyebrows or to have dreads with no eyebrows
2: I mean, if if you have dreads, you at least have hair to catch some of the you know sweat and salt raining down in your eyes. But man, with your ball, it just trickles right in. It was bad.
1: Man. So so Eugene is a first round pick, and Jonathan is an undrafted free agent, correct, coming out of Wisconsin.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so you get there to the Saints and you're scrapping and clawing for a roster spot. What do you remember most about that time period, trying to win a spot there on that team?
3: Well, luckily, because I was so low on the totem pole, like, they didn't really haze me. I think they kind of overlooked the undrafted guys because they got all the drafted guys. You know, Malcolm Jenkins, he got it bad. Eugene, you know Malcolm from Piscataway, he got it bad. You know, and Malcolm's a real prideful guy, so they kept kept getting after him, too. Um, So I kind of missed the whole – hazing thing um but greg williams was our defensive coordinator back then and you know i was getting some rotations and and we we're running like a a blitz in, in practice one day and you know it's like just like Jacksonville, maybe not just like Jacksonville, but it's very humid in louisiana and this was back in double sessions it was two practices a day you know so you know people were like dropping like flies you know ivs and everything so one 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 play our defense was like a zone blitz where the linebacker had to run with number two of the field. The number two of the field was a wide receiver. And he was rolling. So I'm running. I think Chase Daniels actually threw the ball. He was a backup quarterback. The and he threw it right over me. And I, and, I, and I reached up, tried to get it, and I missed the ball. And as I did it, I kind of stumbled. But I didn't chase after the receiver. I just turned around like, damn. And I turned around, and Greg Williams is running straight towards me. And I'm like... <laughs> Like, what is going on, you know? So he's like, get your ass over here. So he's in my face. He's like, if you ever fucking run on my field ever again, I'm gonna cut you on the spot. And, like, you know what he says? He says I'm gonna cut you on the spot and send your ass back to New Jersey. That's what he said. And after that, like, my heart is beating so hard. I'm an undrafted rookie, bro. Like, you know how it is, Eugene. they they going in and out. You know, mm-hmm. undrafted guys is coming in and out the building. So I'm like, man, I might lose my job. But after that, like, I, I literally never walked ever again on a practice field ever again. Always full, 100% balls to the wall every time. I think that conversation had a little bit with with me making the team that year. You know, kind of got after my ass real quick, and I never, like, slouched after that ever again.
1: Greg, Greg Williams, one of the, the bigger ball busters I've ever been around in the NFL uh, coaching. Yeah. Fair to say? Yeah. Yo, so...
3: So, rookie, my rookie year, I was undrafted, and we had other guys that we drafted Chip Vaughn, um, Stanley Arnault. But I don't, I don't I think they got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. They both got hurt their rookie years. So, myself and Malcolm Jenkins were the only rookies playing. And New Orleans, we won a Super Bowl that year, but we were loaded. You know, we had the Harper, Harper and Sharper, we had Bilma, we had Scott Shanley, like Will Smith. We had a lot oh, yeah. of, you know, really good defensive players. Malcolm was playing all year long, very sparingly, corner safety. And I was very limited, playing a lot of special teams, but not really defensive until like the last, I think, week 15, 16, I started playing. I ended up starting at the end of the year. So every time Malcolm would make a mistake, Greg will find me because I'm always ready to go for punt. So I'm always right behind the defense, you know, like right, right there. So he'll turn around to me. he would be like, where's Casillas? he would be like, I fucking hate rookies. And I'm like, coach, I haven't even played this year. Like, why are you cursing me out? And that's what it was every game. When Malcolm, Malcolm make a mistake, he would be like, Casillas, you see that bullshit that Malcolm's doing? You don't ever do that shit. So I got all of Malcolm's discipline. I got all of it that year because I was on the sideline and Malcolm was playing.
1: Did you realize when you were playing in the Super Bowl as a rookie how abnormal that was? I, I, I talked to so many guys who, when they get to that stage early in their career, they just, they just kind of say, yeah, hey, this, this is going to happen every year. Did, did you appreciate yeah. the moment?
3: No, not really. Uh, there were some guys. Uh, I remember Scott Vegeta came to me. He was like, bro, you're so freaking lucky. You little rookie. Like, you get to go to the bowl the first year win 16 games like it was you know it's un, unheard of and you know some guys you know go a long time without winning you know without breaking 500 without going to the playoffs you know I, I remember i had a conversation with joe thomas and, and um uh joe thomas and um uh what's the core joe hayden yeah i had a conversation with them after yeah. one the game for cleveland and i told both of them i said i got so much respect for y'all because y'all come in y'all perform at a high level every year and not to say they're not playing for nothing, but that's hard when you're consistently losing. And for 16 weeks, you know, week 12, you pretty much know if you're in the playoffs or not, you know. And you got four weeks, a whole month at the end of the season where Eugene knows
2: a lot of guys tuck it in. Man, you're you're speaking that that early Jacksonville language, man. Like, hey, man, you no, know, we, we had a year where as the season wound down, it looked like we had a shot. And, you know, regardless, you know, the mindset is to, you know, you're, you're playing to win, but, you know, it was very different in Baltimore, you know, knowing that like, we're really competing like for a shot versus, you know, hoping there's, you know, some chance, you know, we need these two guys to lose. lose. Gotta beat this this team. And then like, we actually made it, and that was fun, even though I was injured. Uh, just that whole environment and atmosphere, uh, the intensity of the, that whole week itself just was amplified. So I can't imagine, you know, i would never been to a Super Bowl, but, you know, I imagine each week as you, you know, bigger bigger, probably bigger. bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah and then you, you get to that game, and then Sean Payton decides to do one of the craziest things ever and call an onside kick in the third quarter, and you're the one that jumps on top of it, the undrafted rookie out of Wisconsin. What was yeah. that like on the bottom of that Make pile?
3: Plays. Man, so earlier that game, I got a holding call on, on, on kick return, and Sean Payton, he gets after people, you know, big – that's a big-time penalty. You know, you're setting Drew Brees back, yeah. you know. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So he's like, "Who's it on? Who's it on?" And I'm hiding. You know, I'm hiding behind people. <laughs> They're like, "It's 52." He had to think about it first. Like, 52. Who's 52? Who is 52? <laughs> oh, because it's like. So I told like the linebackers. I said, "Man, I'm I'm gonna get y'all. I'm gonna get it back. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a play. I'm gonna get it back." And um, the onside kick when we said we we're gonna run it at halftime, I was always backside of the play, and I was supposed to cut off you know backside three or four from the backside. Literally had nothing to do with the play. But if you watch the play, it goes between a whole bunch of people's legs, and as I'm running over there, like I basically just throw my body in there, you know, just just throw my just try to mess some stuff up, you know. And when I did that, I landed on the ball, like I had the ball in my hands under the pile. I felt like I was underneath there for at least five minutes. I don't really know what was the the, the actual time for, like the, the actual real time. But it felt like five minutes. I'm talking about like, I'm talking about scratching, grabbing, twisting helmets. Like maybe some spitting going on. A lot of, and this is Eugene, this is when you could fool people out the pile. Mm-hmm. So if you watch it, uh, uh, um, there's guys getting their dreads pulled from the pile, getting yanked out from the pile, getting kicked. Like it was, it was unreal. And I was in the middle of all of that. And only I could do was just in the ball. And I, and I just, I never let the ball go. They were saying white ball. We were the, were the visiting team. They were saying white ball, white ball, white ball. That's what I saw that heard. And then finally I let the ball go when that last blue Colt glove, because there was other ball hands on the glove. I mean, on the ball, excuse me. There were other hands on the glove. Chris Reese, I think his hand was on the ball, and there was a blue Colt glove. I don't know who it was, Hank Basket or somebody. But as soon as that last glove came off, that's when I was like, thank you, and I let go of the ball. Chris Reese got up with it, didn't really realize the implications of that, because afterwards, they're like, who recovered? And I'm like, I recovered. they were like, well, Chris Reese got up with the ball. But at the end of the day, it was a team effort. If it wasn't for Chris Reese, I would have never have been able to do it. And if it wasn't for me, the Saints would have never be able to, you know, have such a historic play. So I'm very honored and privileged that I was able to be at the right place at the right time, you know?
1: You know, one thing I think that always gets lost when fans watch games or uh, talk about players is – the changing of teams right like whether you sign as a free agent or especially if you're traded in the middle of the season eugene you when you went from jacksonville to baltimore that was after what four or five games before the trade yeah battle?
2: yeah it was uh it was early october it was week five i believe and uh we were actually getting ready for the london trip so um you know it was just a very interesting time it happened in the middle of the week i remember sitting in my living room i was Watching Dragon Ball with my wife and my <laughs> hold agent. On, rewind,
1: hold on, rewind. You you were hold on. You were doing what?
2: My wife and I were just hanging out watching Dragon Ball. We like to watch anime. Anime. Uh, L- little Goku, our, little Gohan. Our thing. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so um, I get a call from my agent, and he's like, "Hey man, uh, you're going to Baltimore. He's like, uh, you might want to start getting ready to to get out of Jacksonville. You know, get your bag ready. It's going to happen quick." And like, I, I really just didn't believe him. And uh, about the third time I asked him if he was serious, man, I lit up, I was so pumped. Uh, I, I was like, man, I, I'm getting out of jail right now. You know, I have been down in Jacksonville in <laughs> that, that off season they drafted Luke Jokel And although they moved him the right tackle, I knew that right was on the wall at that point. You don't draft yeah. a guy, you know, in the first round to play right tackle. Um, so you know, I I was so excited. It was you know a lot of losing time in Jacksonville, and like here was a fresh chance to you know go to a team competing for you know the championship every year. They're a competitor. Man, it, it it was amazing. And also my wife grew up here in Maryland, uh, Columbia, not too far from where we lived in Owens Mills. Um, so it was it was an amazing time.
1: And that getting traded mid-season. Um, you know, this I hear it so often in the NBA, and it's obviously much more rare in the NFL. But your, your life is completely upended. Did you, yeah. were you staying in a like a long term hotel? What What were you doing for that first season in Baltimore?
2: Um, so initially, I was in a hotel, but not for long. So I got traded. Uh, I believe I got that call on a Tuesday night and it was in Baltimore sometime Thursday. Um, So I stayed in the hotel and from that point to the next Monday, my wife had our entire house packed in storage and my family drove down and they all brought all our stuff up to Maryland. Um, And so everything was in storage. We stayed at my wife's parents for a little while because she uh, lived in Columbia and her parents still are here. Um, And then we rented a townhouse. Uh, And so the process for me as a player was to get to Baltimore and, you know, get ingrained immediately. Uh, if I wasn't in meetings, I was with the assistant O-line coach, you know, getting the installs, learning the playbook. They tried to, you know, jam-pack it, you know, in its entirety, um, you know, really by that Sunday. Um, and so it was just a mass effort to, to get on board with the rest of the team really fast and uh, acclimate to, you know, the differences, you know, with the culture of the team, which for me was incredible. Um, You know, there was just so much freedom because, uh, you know, not giving your one hundred percent was not even a question, right like this you know we're here to win the championship, not just to play football, not to hope that by the end of the year we're waiting on these guys to lose, and that was my experience, you know each year in Jacksonville, uh the difference between guys literally you know being pissed off that you know we're we didn't make it versus you know, the culture losing so much that the flights for vacations were booked for a lot of guys, you know, before December. Um, It was just a totally different environment.
1: Well, you in Jacksonville, you didn't have a single winning season. You mentioned that one year you were close. You guys went eight and eight. Uh, So no winning seasons in Jacksonville. And then you get traded to the defending Super Bowl champions and actually get to make it to the postseason uh, for the first time in in your career. And, And Jonathan, you had... Uh, you had to obviously win a Super Bowl in New Orleans, you have a nice day there, three, four years. Uh, you go to Tampa, and then the Patriots trade for you, correct yeah, and that was yeah. a similar scenario right right before the trade deadline
3: yeah, yeah, so it was it was similar with Eugene. Jim, I was a little later. It was like right on the deadline, like four o 'clock. I think the Patriots called me at like three fifty eight <laughs> like, you know so um it was literally. No talks of the Patriots. Uh, my situation for uh, for Tampa was, you know, Tampa, we were bad. I mean, we were, I mean, Tampa's never really that great. But it was like Jacksonville and and, and Tampa was like competing who's the worst team in the league back then. Right. You know, every year. So I think we were like zero and seven or something like that. And Baltimore came in and uh, Flacco threw four touchdowns in the first quarter against mm. Tampa in Tampa. And I'm sitting there looking like – because I wasn't even playing. I was supposed to be playing in that game. I had pulled my hamstring, I think, two weeks before that, and I was um, I was down. And I was supposed to come back for that game, but Lovey didn't activate me. So, I was, like, confused. I felt like I didn't feel good about that. And then we getting our butts kicked. I'm not playing that much. I'm sitting on the sideline like, man, I got to get the fuck out of here, man. I, I can't I – can't, I'm not playing for, like, the sorriest team in the league. So I told my agent and and literally um you know he was like all right you know we will will you know we'll play he's like are you sure? He's like I'll reach out to some teams and literally like right before the trade deadline he's like something might happen. He named a whole bunch of other teams and at, you know 350 or whatever time it was. He's like Bill Belichick wants you to play for the Patriots. And I'm like man I know the Patriots they got Mayo and Hightower all them dudes like 250
1: 260.
3: I was contemplating on not going for, like, two seconds. And my agent was like, bro, Bill Belichick wants you in the middle of the season. Are you kidding me? Get your ass up to New England. So I I, I went. Conversation went like this with Bill. We got practice tomorrow, Wednesday. I expect you to be there Wednesday morning, tomorrow morning. There's a flight at 8 o'clock tonight, and I expect you to be on that flight. All right? I'm like, Bill, it's 4 o'clock. I have a dog. I have a whole life here. What do you mean be at a, on a flight in eight hours, in like four hours? Like, But you just got to, basically, when you get traded, you got to drop your life and pick up your life somewhere else, you know? And for me, it was everything changed. Of course, the culture, the temperature, my living situation. I was living and playing in 80 degrees when I got to New England. And I played at Wisconsin, so, you know, I was familiar with the cold. But I didn't own a cult in Florida. You don't need to own one there. So I went to New England, and it's 32 degrees and snowing when I land. I don't even have a coat. I got to go back to New Jersey. My mom's house to get my coats. So I'm not even properly equipped. And we're playing Sunday night football. Mind you, a whole bunch of meaningless games in Tampa that we're getting our ass kicked. We got Sunday night football against Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos, my first game. So talk about the level and literally going from worst to first. You know, like, I mean, I, I was blessed you know, like I mean, who who would go through something like from the worst team in the league, literally they picked Jameis Winston, number one overall, that year. And we went on to win a Super Bowl. So I went from worst to first and, you know, I thank God for that. That was a great blessing. But it was it taught me so much because as a professional, as a man, you know, you that tested Meet. You know, like it tested me as a man, my fortitude. Cause you get up to a whole, whole familiar environment. You don't know nobody. There's no training camp. There's no getting to know guys. Like you literally got to pick up a playbook and a team and learn it in a few days and play on the weekend. Um, very challenging. I look forward to it. New England did not give me a playbook. They gave me three pieces of paper to learn the defense. And that's what I went off of. And even in the game, Jamie Collins would call something out. Baker Wright
2: and I'm looking at Jamie like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I but had a give me, totally different experience. They didn't I, give I got me the, the playbook, you know. I got that the was, whole that was, my, that was my deal. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I got the whole playbook, man. Like there wasn't a moment if I, I had to come early, uh, you know, to get in the playbook with the assistant coach Andy Muller at the time before meetings and in between meetings. Like even yeah. if it was just ten minutes. It's like, come on! You have a few minutes. Let's Like, it was non-stop. Yeah. I, I, um,
3: I did that too, but they just didn't give me a playbook. You know how the New England is, though. They don't want, they don't want people knowing too they, much. You know they they weren't sure how long you'd be around.
2: <laughs> right? They're right? like, hey man, we might give this guy too much. Right? You don't
1: know. So
2: man, we yeah. give him a little bit. Don't give him too much.
1: <laughs> I'm always fascinated from from a personal standpoint, and I guess I didn't verbalize this earlier in terms of when guys get traded midseason, Imagine if you're working at AT&T and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're cleaning out your desk and you're going to, uh, to work at the Verizon offices the next day. And it's not just about a different company or a different team. It's about different personalities and trying to cultivate friendships while you're playing on the field and trying to be a cohesive unit. That's, that's, that's a challenging aspect. And I think almost as much as the physical – it's the mental, right? Not just the learning, but the and, and the social aspect of, of a different locker room. Eugene, was yeah. that was that a challenge for um, you? You know,
2: really, as an offensive lineman, no matter what team you're on, um, nothing matters but getting your job done. Um, that's it. So, um, you know, that's everyone in that room's focus. And so, you know, it was, it was really much. It was an easy transition for me. Um, you know, I had a great a, a room full of some Super Bowl champions. Everyone, you know, had the same mission in mind as mine. And uh, it was actually fun to be in an environment where everyone was on the same page in that way after leaving Jacksonville, feeling like, you know, the, the team itself, whether it was the front office or, or the players involved, um, you know, everyone, you know, wasn't on the same page in that regard. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, it was uh, definitely interesting, but, but not too difficult of a transition socially either.
1: It's, it's two, two of the best cultures in my mind in the NFL, if not the two best cultures, what you have there in Baltimore and then obviously what you have in New England. But very different feels in, you know, Foxborough and Owings Mills. Foxborough is much more – business-like, right, Jonathan? It's just a different feel probably than any other team you were on, I'm sure.
3: Yeah, for sure. And, and people always ask me, you know, how does it feel playing in New England? And and the truth of the matter is, if you're a professional, you know, if you handle yourself like a, like a mature adult, you know, you're at work on time and you're giving it your all, you won't have any problems with New England, you know, because they have specific roles for, for you, and you can outplay that role, and they'll expand you. But, like, Bill Belichick knew exactly where he wanted me to play. He knew that he wanted me to play on L4 on kickoff, uh, you know, this position on punt, and maybe you play a little defense. But we'll see. We don't know yet. We'll see about that. You know, I ended up working my way in, um, you know, but you, you have to be a, a consummate pro. Like, there's no waking up late. There's no forgetting assignments. Like, that That, that don't happen. You know, um, Revis I think, showed up late one day. He sent them home for the whole day, the whole day, come back at 430 what? 4.30? Like, we ought to work at 4.30. Come back at 4.30, because that's the standard. It's like, bro, we ain't about to, no two minutes late, no fine. Because, you know, some some guys get paid all that money. $5,000 ain't nothing to them. Like, no, you know, that's hard to say, damn. but some guys are like, oh, damn, that's yeah. cool, whatever. You know, but, like, he's like, you're going to miss a whole day of work, and it's going to mess you up for this weekend. You know, so he's like, You're not being a professional towards me. You're going to face the consequences. Some people don't care about money. You know what I mean? So it's like, of course, the NFL is a business. But the flagship business, the flagship organization in the NFL, I feel like is the New England Patriots. From number one, how how many wins they have. Of course, because of Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, and Tom Brady. But the culture that they have when they go there. You got to be a consummate pro. And consummate pros, they have success. And statistically, if my numbers are correct, if you play for the Patriots, there's about a 30% chance that you win a Super Bowl. That, that has changed because Tom Brady's gone, right. but numbers don't lie. Six and 18 years, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. the level was different, and I felt that as soon as I walked into the building.
1: Time for a quick break so we can tell you about our presenting sponsor, makers of some of the finest athletic apparel that you will ever wear. Take my word for it. It is Viore Clothing, V-U-O-R-I. You want to check this out. This is the most versatile performance apparel on the market. It's soft, it's comfortable, and it's very useful for anything you want to do. It's great for working out. And uh, by the way, it looks great. I wear it to travel uh, when we are traveling, which I'm hoping will be in the very near future. I wear it for lounging around the house. I wear it to work out, to play yoga, to hoop it up, to go to the beach, all of the above. They have great hoodies. They have tremendous workout shirts, Uh, The shorts are phenomenal for the guys. I love the core short because it has a built-in liner, one short, every sport. Their new Ponto pants, incredibly comfortable. And, of course, they have joggers for both men and women. It is Viori, V-U-O-R-I, clothing.com slash helipod for 20% off your first order. VioriClothing.com slash Helipod. Try it out right now. You get 20% off your first order. I promise you won't be sorry. Now, let's get back to the pod. So, for both of you guys, before it was all said and done, injuries were obviously an, an issue in your career. Eugene, you walked away at 29 after, you know, some concussion issues and shoulder surgery, and Jonathan, you... You walked away. I'm trying to remember the, the injury. You had I mean you can not you probably can't even name the number of surgeries slash injuries that you had in your playing career, correct? My yeah.
3: injury my injury report like that, bro. <laughs> yeah, right. it,
2: was,
3: it
1: was it was crazy. And I know that you talked about, you know, being introduced to painkillers when when you were a rookie and you were taking all and uh you had a well respected veteran that said, you know, this is kind of the magic potion and you know, Eugene, you obviously uh, have dealt with with, with painkillers, and you're part of the NFL's pain management committee now. And I, I guess my question is, I know you're both very involved in, in the cannabis industry now, and have been pro cannabis for uh, dealing with with uh, pain management in the NFL. Felt like it's a it's a big big help. I'll start with you, Eugene. Are you happy with the new CBA and in terms of the the marijuana testing and how it's set up now as opposed to before?
2: Overall happiness with it, yes, it's major progress. Um, You know, it's a safer environment for the athletes who choose to use cannabis um, instead of the pharmaceutical drugs they've been prescribed. Uh, You know, in most of the states that where there's an NFL team, there's some form of cannabis available, whether it's through the medical or recreational uh, program that's been legalized there. Um, uh, So, yeah, you know, I'm a a huge fan of, you know, that movement, um, you know, because we've got too many guys uh, who leave the game and, you know, All of the pain from the injuries they sustain is still there and getting worse as those injuries age along with them. And there's still a need to manage that. There's still a need to, uh, uh, you know, obviously continued physical therapy and all the other things that you have to do to manage, you know, traumatic injury. But um, you also have underlying inflammation Uh, that, um, you know, cannabis can help reduce. And and so there's, you know, aside from that, just the other issues that athletes deal with while they're playing. And now, you know, they don't have to take sleep pills. They don't have to, you know, take the same type of, you know, anti-anxiety medicine and and those things. So, uh, you know, it really removes um, or at least, you know, adds a tool in the toolbox for a player to use you know, they don't have to use it, right. The players don't have to use cannabis, but now they don't have to, you know, tell doc that, um, you know, they need Vicodin, you know, I I need a couple of Vikings, you know, to get through the practice today, you know, right. You have guys taking that stuff midweek because, you know, the game is that rough. Um, and now there's a healthier alternative, um, and so, yeah, like, very happy. Uh, it's something that, you know, J.C. here was a part of fighting for. Um, and uh, while, while it's not perfect, right, um, you know, there's no need for the NFL to test, you know, our adult athletes at all for this. But, um, but the environment is much better now, much better.
1: Jonathan, how do you avoid, I guess, with players? When I first, many, many years ago, would hear about – marijuana is pain management i'm like probably like a lot of people were out there i'm like yeah is it is it really and then i moved to california and i see it out here i i see the stores i see the cbd oils i have cbd oils i've used them um you have your own company where you're selling cbd oils how did that change things for you when you first started using that as a player
3: well I didn't start really using, like, CBD uh, until my last couple years. Um, I wish I had it earlier in my career. Um, I mean, of course, I participated in cannabis consumption.
1: Um, <laughs> as, as, as did many.
3: But this was just more of a recreational thing and more for, like, like peace of mind, you know, almost more than, like, my physical uh, ailments that I've had. And then... Once I got introduced to CBD, I started really researching uh, the cannabis plant in itself and realized all of the side effects of being a football player, cannabis treats, you know, the stress, the physical pain, the anxiety, all of the stuff that football players go through on a daily basis, not just the physical, you know, uh, uh, the physical demands from the sport, but also the mental demands and the social demands and the emotional demands. It's a lot, you know, we, we as football players, and I'm, my daughter's eight years old and I've been a father uh, the whole time, but I feel like the last three years, I really, I've really been a father the last three years after I retired. So with that being said, I was missing out a little bit while I was playing because you're so focused. You're so goal oriented with football that even the kid, my kid, the most important thing in my life. But when you're playing ball, you're so focused on ball that even the most important thing gets pushed to the side because you have to focus and dedicate everything to football. And if you do that with nothing to alleviate the stress, nothing to alleviate the pain, then you literally go crazy. So people find outlets, right? They find the drugs, they find drinking. You know, and, and I, I found cannabis before I really knew the medicinal benefits of it. And that helped me get through my career. Now that I know the medicinal benefits and I could be more particular um, on why I'm using certain products for, you know, certain ailments that I have, whether that's stress, whether that's I can't sleep this day, whether my knees are hurting or my back is tight. You know, and that cannabis provides so many different avenues without pushing you down that path of addiction without pushing you that down that path of uh, you know doing things that you regret you know like our worst stories pretty sure all of us our worst stories as men have came from drinking you know and, and sure. we we promote that like we as the NFL we as americans we promote liquor so much on every commercial and 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 that's killing all of us you know and then before this coronavirus the thing that was killing everybody was the opioids you know what i'm saying so it's like we have these issues that people like myself and eugene and dan i'm pretty sure you've been involved in that too where we've used these drugs alcohol whatever and they've been killing us they're literally killing us and we found something that can not only help us but that can be profitable if it's done the correct way. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I'm, I get so emotional about it because, you know, a lot of people have lost their careers and lost their lives because of a little bit of weed, because of a little bit of weed, you know what I mean? And, and that's very sad and, and I wanna do everything I can to, to help the, the culture in itself, the NFL culture, the cannabis uh, culture, the NFL and cannabis culture.
1: Well, I I think the other thing when you talk about the culture and the industry and both of you guys leading voices for, you know, kind of implementing cannabis use for for pain management, but there's also big time business endeavors. And you are both entrepreneurs now who have a financial stake in the cannabis industry. How how has that been? uh, And Eugene, I'll start with you on this one to have something post playing career to be passionate about.
2: Um, well, well, for me, it, it's it wasn't just post-playing careers. This really began while I was still playing. Um, you know, as I was researching cannabis uh, as a means for healing from the injuries I had, uh, it's, it was impossible to search. And, you know, even thinking back to 2013. Yeah, the business activity was just all over the place, and I got to Maryland, and Maryland uh, was uh, letting out a process to compete for licensing, and, and so that was my uh, entryway into uh, the cannabis industry. So, you know, making that transition from uh, football to to just doing, you know, business was you know, it was actually an easier transition because now football's dropped off so I can focus all of that energy uh, uh, into the cannabis business.
1: Hey, Jonathan, when, when do you think marijuana is going to be like alcohol? Do you think that'll ever happen? And just in terms of the overall acceptance here in, in the U.S.?
3: I think, yes, it, it, will, it will become like alcohol, but I don't know how soon that will be. Um, because the big wigs got to get their hands on it, you know what I mean, and that's when it's really gonna come widely accepted. Um, big Pharma runs this country, you know. So once they have their steak, you know, and they're they're able to eat, then they'll let everybody else eat. That's how I feel, Eugene. You could you know probably a little more about it than I do, but I know Big Pharma runs this shit, you know. So it's really up to when when it starts getting big pharma those big companies really start getting the patents and stuff like that where they can research it and they start putting it out mass production which is going to destroy the actual product i think itself but that's when it's going to be like alcohol eventually i don't know when that will be but eventually it will be like
1: that um before i let you guys go and i really appreciate your time from both of you um i know you're both you have a stake in companies eugene is there anything that you want to talk about uh here, a company that you're involved with before uh, we wrap things up.
2: Um, you know, not not really. Um, you know, I'm, the fact that I'm associated in the cannabis industry is is awesome. But really, just like the issue I highlighted about social justice is most important to me. Um, you know, there's there's just far too many people being left behind, and you know, I can only imagine uh, sitting in jail for you know having an ounce of marijuana you know and you know reading you know somehow that you know uh, three months ago it was legalized and you know people are growing you know thousands of pounds of it all over but i got arrested and sitting behind bars because of an ounce Um, it's a huge problem jonathan well just what eugene
3: said like my company, Jade's Garden, I haven't really took off yet. Um, being in football for so long, you know, my business acumen is not that great. Um, so I try to, you know, rely on relationships, you know. And one thing I realized uh, in, in business, stepping away from football, not even just business, it's just stepping away from football, you know. Eugene, I went against this dude in a scrimmage in high school. He was a beast. He was bigger than everybody. I've never seen nobody big, big in my life. With that being said, Eugene with Virginia, you know, he was tested and proved himself over and over and over and over again until he got drafted and he's a professional and he's on this the highest level you can be, right? The professional level. Everyone in the NFL can play in the NFL. Meaning they've been tested, they've been prodded, they've been, you know. Picked apart, torn apart. Now they're at this level. We're all professionals. You pay for us to see us play, right? Now I'm stepping into business, thinking I'm talking to other professionals like myself. Like I'm a professional football player. So I'm talking to, you know, somebody in this industry that's a professional. So I think that they're going to be or do as much due diligence as I did preparing for my job. No, but that's not the case. You know, so as I'm stepping away from ball, this has cannabis, but it's more about just the world in general. I realize there are so many people, there's so many bullshitters, there's so many, I call them diaper people, Eugene. So many shitty people, bullshitters, people that ain't shit, assholes. Like, those are my diaper people. I put them on all in that. And in, in football, you get some assholes, but most people can do their job you know, very, very well, you know, and, and as I'm stepping out of the, the league and, you know, getting into business and meeting people from different industries, cannabis and fitness and a whole bunch of other things, I'm realizing oh that not everybody is who they say they are. You know, a lot of people are, you know, putting a good Instagram page together or a good bio together to make themselves look good or to make themselves seem like somebody they're not. And now... Me learning that, you know, at 32 years old, it's like, all right, slow down what you were doing and what Eugene said. One thing I learned about Eugene, he's a smart dude. And he does his due diligence. He does. From what I've heard from him and and what I've read about him, he does. And that's what I've been learning,
2: stepping away from ball and getting into business, you know? You know what I I found? there's, There's so many things that you learn as an athlete in the sport that um, apply 100% to really any business endeavor that, that you might be involved in. Um, You just have to understand, you know, how to apply those things to that particular business. Um, So, you know, the things you're talking about with, you know, people and, and the things that they're not right. Like, you know, my advice would be, you know, you know, there's even no need to to have a, a list of, of diaper people. Just you know, deal with good people, and if they're not right. good people, move on. They're, you know, I don't I don't do business with anyone that I, I really you know you can't sit down and have a meal with and enjoy. Like I, you know, you you really don't win that way. And in terms of the people you work with directly, um, you know, everyone has to be aligned. Everyone has to be, you know, responsible. And if you're not, I mean, it's, it's like the Patriots, like you can't be a part of this team period. Um, yeah, it just, that's, that's really how I move that same environment that you talked about being set. Um, um, in New England, I mean, you know, that's, you hear business people all the time, you know, wanting to just understand how Bill Belichick, you know, runs his business as a right. coach. Um, right. Um, so, you know, just remembering those things and applying it to what you're doing now with your business, you know, I, I think you'd see, you know, yourself start to take off uh, like you don't think you are just quite yet.
1: I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time. Um, and I learned something this podcast, which I can't say that I do every time I talk to uh, to guys. So that was, um, that was educational. And and best of luck to you in, in the business endeavors. And Eugene, I can't tell you how much I appreciate and how many others do the, the social justice stance that you're taking as well. Um, I hope you're surviving the quarantine. Things are starting to open up slowly, but surely and getting a little bit uh, back to normal. Thanks for coming on guys.
2: Thank man, you. man, I have fun. I'll come on anytime.